All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, listeners, to yet another episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly, bringing you lesser-known true crime stories. How's everybody doing? I know I took the week off. I hope everybody's been doing really well. Can you guys believe it's already March? Like, we're going into the second week already. I want to thank you all for allowing me to take last week off to celebrate my international players holiday aka my latest full revolution around the sun aka my new year aka my birthday sorry not sorry i didn't want to think about death while celebrating life anywho don't forget to join the what had happened a true crime podcast group on facebook this is a group where we share true crime memes talk about the cases discussed on the show or the ones that are gnawing at you and also for you to make suggestions for lesser known cases you'd like to hear you can also follow the podcast on instagram and twitter and the links are in the description box below so last week or last episode i should say i told you guys about chai vang and the deer hunter murders For today's episode, we'll be heading down the turnpike to Ridgefield, New Jersey, where I will discuss, uh, I hate to say it, but there's toxic masculinity in this one, and that's not to say all men as a whole have that, but it's evident in this case, stalking, domestic abuse, and what had happened to Gladys Ricard when she was moments away from her happily ever after. This is a story that I learned about approximately 20 years ago. I was so deeply upset by the lack of exposure. I mean, it got some traction in the very early 2000s, but I feel that it's still a cautionary tale for men and women alike. Because, listen, while there are toxic men, there are some crazy-ass women who are not afraid to boil a fucking bunny you know what I'm talking about, you old heads like myself. Mm. Anywho, like I said, though, I was upset about the lack of exposure that this received at the time, as well as the tropes that were used throughout the trial on the defense's side to vilify and demean the life of the victim. I'll never forget it. While there are aren't many archived articles about Gladys Ricard, I was able to find the American Justice episode that covered the case, so that is where the bulk of my information will be stemming from. Gladys Ricard was born October 15th, 1960 in in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. By 1979, the smart and beautiful Gladys was a young single mother to a baby boy. Ambitious and determined to provide herself and her son Davis the best life possible, Gladys worked hard to save up enough money to move from the Dominican Republic to the Dominican immigrant neighborhood of Washington Heights in Manhattan in 1983. Gladys made arrangements with family in the Dominican Republic to look after her small child until she was able to send for him. In Washington Heights, Gladys was not alone, though. She joined her sister and nieces, who were able to help her adjust to her new concrete surroundings. 
Gladys first learned English and then juggled working and taking accounting courses at a local college. After four years of hard work and determination, Gladys was able to move her son Davis from the Dominican Republic to New York. By 1989, Gladys was making a name for herself as an accounting supervisor at an uptown Manhattan company. Gladys's nieces would describe their aunt as being the most Americanized of the family, which is kind of a big deal when you're talking about like an entire, well, you know, like a lot of members from the family immigrating, especially like into the U.S. And, you know, you want to hold on to a lot of those old traditions, but to be able to assimilate and become Americanized and remove, say, let's just say there are negative things that you were getting away from within your own culture and your own country, you know, being able to feel comfortable with living in this melting pot that we have and keeping up with that it's a big deal as i said though they said that she was the most americanized of the family her niece malin remembered that gladys was like a little girl always wanting to do things like makeup shopping and going to the movies with her nieces gladys was the cool aunt who talked to her nieces about boys and their young relationships gladys's brother juan ricard described his sister as a dreamer who always wanted to be more than what she was she was also the one who encouraged her nieces to strive for the best in life even helping niece maria uh, apply for college in 1992 while riding the subway Gladys met 40-year-old Augustine Garcia. Augustine, like Gladys, had immigrated from the Dominican Republic approximately 25 years beforehand, and he had become a prominent figure in the Washington Heights Dominican community and held prestigious positions such as community director for, oh my goodness, you guys, I've been saying this low-key for like a week, I hope I don't jack this up, associate Associates, oh gosh, I can't say it. Sorry, Comadre. I'm looking at it and it's just fucking with me. Associaciones Dominicanas Inc. I know I messed it up. I'm so sorry. Child Development Program. Okay, so City College of New York described ADI as this quote ADI was a tax exempt nonprofit community organization incorporated in 1975 under section 402 of the New York State Nonprofit Corporation Law operating under section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code it is one of the first Dominican organizations established in New York City to address the needs of Dominican immigrants to encourage free exchange of ideas, social activities, and good fellowship between Dominican residents and the community at large, and to inform the New York Dominican community for the betterment of themselves and society at large. Although ADI original 
uh, ADI's original purpose was to serve the New York Dominican community exclusively. The organization evolved into a citywide community organization which provided human and educational services to city residents. Its latest mission was to address the human, educational, immigration, and employment needs of residents of Williams of the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn, adjacent areas, and other citywide communities in need of such services. End quote. Augustine was highly regarded and respected in the Dominican community. He was seen as a mentor and someone to look up to. Attorney and friend Fernando Oliver said he was a great professional and had another side to him, quote, the Mother Teresa side, dedicated to serving the less fortunate in the community, end quote. Fernando recalled Augustine was setting up daycares and business schools throughout the community to help and better others an anti-drug and gang advocate as well as dealing with large sums of cash transactions for protection augustine was known to always carry a weapon while most of augustine's business was his dealings were known to be within the city augustine preferred to live across the bridge in north bergen new jersey now hitting it off immediately the two became a couple one year into their relationship gladys and davis moved into augustine's home he shared with his children from his previous marriage unfortunately at this point there began to be problems within their relationship primarily the new blended family wasn't gelling gladys would tell her family that augustine didn't treat davis well and she was becoming increasingly unhappy with their living arrangements after enduring two years in Augustine's home, in 1995, Gladys purchased a home for herself and her son in the nearby town of Ridgefield. Although the two maintained separate homes, they continued to date for three more years. On the exterior, Augustine and Gladys were a beautiful power couple. Whenever Gladys accompanied Augustine to functions and social events, he referred to her as his wife, although the two were not engaged or married, her brother would say. Privately, the two had many conflicts, though. One of the many bones of contention in the relationship was that Gladys wanted marriage and more children, and Augustine didn't. Augustine had also cheated on Gladys throughout the relationship, and... You know, while Gladys was a headstrong woman who was proud, it took its toll on her having to compete. While never verbally admitting to being afraid of Augustine to family or friends, Gladys's sister Norma said that Gladys was in fact very much afraid of Augustine and what he was capable of doing to her. Gladys would confide that she and Augustine fought and argued constantly. Gladys would tell them how jealous and controlling he was with her. He even told her family of an incident when she was having an argument with Augustine and he threatened her with the 38 caliber Smith & Wesson he kept on his person at all times. Gladys was so afraid that she would tell her sister that 
in that moment all she could do is barricade herself in the bathroom so yes it kind of it's kind of contradictory yes she told people that she was afraid but she probably didn't tell them to what extent you know um sometimes we can deal with the fact that you're in the moment and oh he's brandishing a gun but he'll never actually pull the trigger you know if in arguments the person constantly does this but never actually follows through i believe like the level of comfort with that kind of you know conflict and i can't even think of the word right now but whatever that interaction is it becomes normal so you know you really lower the bar on where you feel like you're gonna be you know facing a bullet anywho Juan her her brother said that Augustine wasn't happy with just one woman he always had to have more than one he just wanted Gladys there to show off essentially when Gladys learned about the final fling with a woman much younger than herself, she broke up with Augustine in late 1998. So, we're going to circle this wagon back to this last statement a little bit later when I really go on a tear, but remember this statement again. She broke up with Augustine. I'm going to hit that with the echo. She broke up with Augustine. Behind closed doors, there was domestic violence. Gladys concealed from her family and her friends. Tumultuous is an understatement for the passionate and volatile relationship that they shared. While Gladys had ended the relationship, there are still elements of control and manipulation on Augustine's part that he either began or probably was already using during the time of their relationship to keep Gladys in his life. Not long after her breakup from Augustine, Gladys met 32-year-old accountant and musician James Preston. The two shared a whirlwind romance that was the complete opposite of the relationship Gladys had ended with Augustine. James too wanted the same happily ever after of marriage, children, and being a family that Gladys had dreamt of for so many years. In a short time, the two decided to wed as soon as possible so that they could start their family. Gladys's nieces would recount, would recount their aunt having planned her wedding for years in advance. Wedding magazines and vision boards were stowed for, like, this moment. As the summer months, you know, um, I'm sorry, I lost my plot, my part. It was because of all of this that Gladys's years of planning, you know, that she had put together her dream wedding, they, the two were able to come together and plan their wedding so effortlessly in three months time as the summer months began to wind down and the countdown for Gladys's upcoming nuptials approached she was still dealing with Augustine Garcia okay there are conflicting stories most of them are unflattering towards Gladys again this is why I'm going off on a tear later 
and I cracked a knuckle on it where Gladys was portrayed as being a woman who was juggling men and leading Augustine on until the day that she was to get married and she hadn't informed him of the engagement or wedding. There are also reports from neighbors as well as Augustine's daughters that the two were actively still in a relationship up until the day of Gladys's death. Again, we'll talk about this later, but neighbors said that they saw Gladys's car in front of his home more than his own and his daughter alleged to have heard the two having sex during the time that Gladys was engaged. That's all hearsay. What is known is that Augustine was having a very difficult time accepting that he and Gladys were no longer in a relationship. In short, he was possessive and obsessed. Gladys's neighbors reported in late summer 1999, Augustine was seen stalking Gladys, parking outside of her home, and or driving by at various times of the day and night. On the night of August 12, 1999, six weeks before the wedding, Augustine showed up at Gladys's home where she was inside with her fiancé, James Preston. And it's believed that Augustine knew that James was in Gladys's home. Infuriated that she wouldn't allow him entry into the home, he began throwing rocks at her windows. Gladys called 911 and stated, you guys better listen to this, quote, I finished with him about three months ago and he's breaking my window because I don't want to open the door. The dispatcher asks, he's outside now? And Gladys exclaims, he's, yes, he's breaking my window. Dispatch then told Gladys that they were sending a unit to her home. At the end of the call, Gladys said, hurry up because I'm afraid of him. When officers arrived, Augustine was subdued, but Gladys declined pressing charges against him. Now, this is something that happens in many domestic violence situations where the victim, at the end of the day, has some kind of guilt or shame or wants to save face for the perpetrator and not, you know, press charges. It happens, and we cannot shame her for that. You know, at this point, I see that this woman is just trying to get as far away from this man as possible without making any waves. <sighs> Bless her heart. Despite the terrorizing Augustine was doing to Gladys, she, <clears throat> uh, to Gladys, she was a, and she she knew that she was about to embark on a new chapter in her life. She still cared for Augustine and did not want to cause any any strife with his reputation and standing within the community and amongst his friends, colleagues, and family. Although Gladys was still being stalked by Augustine, the wedding preparations continued to go on as scheduled though. September twenty fifth, nineteen ninety nine. Actually, it's technically September 26th. It's 1 a.m. Augustine and Gladys were captured on a Pathmark, which is a local grocery store chain in the tri-state area. They were caught on surveillance camera. And then the following afternoon at approximately 4, 
Gladys was supposed to be walked down the aisle by her son Davis. Gladys was a vision in white. She looked like an exquisite, stunning bridal model. She looked like something out of all of the magazines on the newsstands, past and present. Gladys was a strikingly gorgeous woman. Like, her looks were timeless. I cannot say that. I, I cannot get over how gorgeous she was. And um, I'm not even trying to objectify her. I'm just saying that she was gorgeous in her regular attire. But on this day, she was a whole queen. Oh my goodness. Opting for the look of royalty, Gladys's gown was a sweetheart neck-lined lace ball gown with bell sleeves adorned at each elbow with a lace bow. Her raven hair sophisticated in a sophisticated updo topped off with a stunning crown. Her makeup was timeless and elegant, accentuating the beauty that Gladys exuded on this day. Videographers and photographers were buzzing around Gladys's home as the massive bridal party prepared to go to the church, capturing candid moments. Inside the home, Gladys posed for the photos, for photos replicating the images from the wedding magazines that she had thumbed through for years. In front of the home, two stretch limousines and a Rolls Royce waited to take the party to the church. Flower girls and bridesmaids were all visions of beauty in sage and floral crowns, posing for pictures in front of the Recart home as a familiar car crept down the street, passing the activity in Gladys's yard, only to circle back and drive by again before finally parking down the street. Bridesmaids recognized the driver as being Gladys's ex, Augustine. There was a little bit of discussion about alerting Gladys to his drive-by, but it was pushed aside as not to upset her before the wedding. Augustine sat in his car for a few moments before grabbing his briefcase and then exiting. Juan Ricart, Gladys's brother, confronted Augustine as he walked towards Gladys's door. I asked him, quote, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. And he told me it was okay. He was invited, Juan would say. The two men entered the packed living room, videographers capturing the next moments. Gladys looked surprised to see Augustine standing out of the frame of the camera. As soon as she saw Augustine, it was too late. He pulled his thirty-eight from his briefcase and shot at Gladys five times, three bullets striking the bride and killing her immediately, while the other two rounds missed her within inches. Bedlam had exploded in this peaceful home. Juan immediately tackled and disarmed Augustine as he tried to reload his revolver. Augustine screamed that he wanted to kill himself. The bridal party ran for cover, running to protect the small children in the home. 911 was called immediately, one caller telling the dispatch, you have to hurry, there's been a shooting, send an ambulance, a man went in and he shot the bride. 
The family, stunned and heartbroken, filled the yard as police entered the home to find Gladys crumpled on the floor. Bullet holes in her chest had turned her white gown Merlot. Juan and Augustine were both handcuffed until police could decipher what they had just walked in on. It took no time for the police to figure out that Augustine had been the one to kill Gladys Ricard. It was now time for detectives to figure out what had happened to cause this man to ambush and murder a bride on her wedding day. Upon searching Augustine, police found more ammunition in his pocket. A search of his car would reveal a scrap of paper with a list of license plate numbers that would later be confirmed as being parked near Gladys's home in the previous months, leading to the murder. There would be no blushing from the groom as his bride was ushered down the aisle by her son. There would be no silver tray with 13 golden coins to be blessed for the ceremony of Aris. No sheepish glances or butterflies as they exchanged vows. There would be no jubilation or celebration. No merengue, no joy. Only heartache and devastating sense of emptiness for all. Augustine asserted that the murder was committed during the heat of passion. In New Jersey, the state says that the heat of passion provocation defense, as defined by, I had to do a quick search, and uh, I found this definition given to us by the law offices of Helmer, Conley, and Castleman. They gave us the definition as this, quote, passion provocation manslaughter cases typically involve murders or attempted murders that are driven by a person's sudden rage. Motivi motivated by this anger, the person usually takes no time, no time, that's important, remember that people, to think through his or her, her emotional response, but instead acts without rationalizing or reasoning. When this happens and the person had, quote, reasonable provocation for the emotional response, passion, provocation, manslaughter charges are assessed and the courts weigh the criteria for these crimes against the circumstances that led to the crime. Huh, that's a doozy. Now, Saying Gladys provoked her murder during the initial interview with detectives, Augustine claimed he was driving to an event in Manhattan and went out of his way to drive by her house. Out, out of, of his, his way. way. He also said he did that quite a bit. Stalker. Surprised to see all the activity in front of Gladys's home, Augustine said he circled around again and parked to investigate. Augustine admitted to detectives that Gladys was the sole intended target, but would not say why. His defense would say it was provoked by passion and mitigating evidence was ignored. During this time, Gladys had two funerals her first one was in manhattan where she 
was in her wedding dress and her second was in the Dominican Republic where her body now lays at rest I forgot to put this part in the script so bear with me and again her body was she was still wearing her wedding dress bullet holes and all it wasn't even cleaned to show everyone exactly what happened to her in that you know in that moment and it was a very poignant message to send across so let's see here during press conferences held by the defense they constantly asserted that Gladys was at fault they would paint Augustine and Gladys as having a quote contentious loving relationship defense claimed that Augustine had no idea Gladys was getting married and the shock of seeing it all in real life in real time sent him into a heat of passion these constant press conferences held by the defense painted Gladys as a woman of questionable morals and were able to, in a sick way, make many in the Dominican community who watched the case closely question whether she deserved to be murdered by Augustine. Prosecution would win their gag order petition, hindering the defense from holding any more press conferences, though. Now, on February 14th, 2001, at what was thought to be just another general pretrial hearing, all of the excitement came from the judge ruling if the wedding video footage should be admissible and viewed by the jury, because the defense claimed that the wedding video was prejudicial and not necessary for the jury to see. Augustine's attorneys argued the footage of provocative images were inflammatory and highly unnecessary. The judge inevitably ruled that certain parts of the video did not need to be seen by the jury. However, they were allowed to view the murder recorded. This was the first time the Ricard family or the public were able to see the wedding footage. The Ricard family sat huddled in the courtroom and they couldn't see the footage while the they but they could hear it while the judge viewed it to make his decision. The courtroom was able to see Gladys and her bridal party milling about in the living room when suddenly Gladys sees Gladys sees Augustine and he immediately began firing shots at her. There was nothing confrontational or menacing in the tones of the people in the background in those moments before he fires his weapon. This is very important. There was only a scuffle when Juan Ricard tackled Augustine only after his sister was shot. The trial began on October it's October 21st, 2001. James Preston, his family and the Ricard family were present for the trial. The prosecution learned that Augustine came into the home with extra bullets in his home. The state also introduced evidence of the scrap paper that had the license plate numbers later found to belong to vehicles that were parked in close proximity to Gladys' home in past months. 
The state also addressed the surveillance tape of Gladys and Augustine taken approximately 15 hours before her wedding. When the defense initially introduced this piece of evidence, they painted a picture of a clandestine 1 a.m. rendezvous between lovers at the local Pathmark. Fuck that shit. The prosecution, and frankly me as well, see it completely differently. The prosecution said that Gladys Ricart was stalked and ambushed on her way from her home to the Pathmark by Augustine Garcia while she was on her way to Pathmark to pick up some last-minute items for a bridesmaid. So, there's a scene in the surveillance where Gladys held her arms across her chest as if they were a vest of protection. When Augustine stood behind her, her body language was rigid, as if she was just trying to get through the encounter without incident and get away from him. Her brother called the incident at Pathmark, would call the incident at Pathmark an assault. The defense would enter into evidence a voice recording, though, found by Gladys's sister after the murder. The voice recording was of Gladys and Augustine arguing heatedly over another woman. The defense used the voice recording as proof that Gladys was still in love with Augustine and they were still a couple up until the day that she was murdered. The defense asked why would Gladys be passionately arguing with Augustine about another woman if she was supposedly if she was supposed to be married to James Preston like what's up with that they said that in augustine's mind gladys was his wife even though the two weren't wed and they never really broke up that's toxic as as fuck. fuck i'm gonna say that again they said that in augustine's mind gladys was his wife even though the two weren't wed and that they never really broke up. That's toxic. I'm sorry. Ew. <gasps> A series of witnesses, mm, super sketch, testified that they were under the impression that Augustine and Gladys were still in a relationship. The neighbor claimed to see more of Gladys's vehicle than Augustine's giving her the impression that she that Gladys lived there and his daughter testified again to having heard the two having sex the prosecution came back with the fact that the recording wasn't dated they asserted the recording was more than likely an argument over one of the many women Augustine cheated on Gladys with during their seven-year relationship and not afterwards the prosecution and Gladys's family say Gladys was a woman who was seen as property by Augustine Garcia he stalked her not taking no for an answer the prosecution also said Augustine Garcia had time to process his ex getting married when he parked his car and sat there for a few moments before retrieving his briefcase, which contained his 38 Smith & Wesson, and consciously entered the ostensibly peaceful residence and committed first-degree murder. The defense would say that in that moment when Augustine saw his girlfriend 
oh gosh, all the quotes on that one. A woman he was just with 15 hours before getting married, he was overcome with shock and acted in that moment of passion. When Augustine Garcia took the stand, however, he contradicted the entire heat of passion case presented by his defense team. Augustine Garcia stated that he was jumped by Davis and Juan Ricard as soon as he entered the home, turning his claims of acting in the heat of passion to self-defense. On the stand, an animated Augustine demonstrated to the jury how he walked into the home fairly calmly and only withdrew his weapon to defend himself from being attacked, saying a punch to the head caused him to black out. Augustine said when he hit the ground, he, quote, saw a white cloud that overcame him like a flash. However, the prosecution countered that the bullets weren't aimed at either Juan or Davis, his alleged attackers. None of the bullets hit either men. And lastly, if Augustine was firing his weapon wildly in self-defense, why were the shots concentrated directly at Gladys, three hitting her and two missing her within inches? Prosecution also pointed to the lack of ruckus when the shooting occurred in the Recart home on video. A juror recalled, recalled that while on the stand, Augustine made a big show of crying throughout his testimony, which did him more harm than good as the jury didn't believe his tears. At one point, Juan Ricard was overheard saying aloud during Augustine's testimony, que teatro, or what theater, or what a show in Spanish. Augustine was called out for contradicting not only the defense laid out by his defense team, but also his initial police confession where he stated he intentionally shot Gladys Ricard. So now, okay, wait, the dates are off on this. I'm sorry, guys. Like, I kind of jumped the gun. I know I said that it was the 21st for the beginning of that, but it was, ah, uh, my dates are jacked. But on the 18th, the prosecutors and defense gave their closing arguments. The defense attorney, oh, so it was October 2nd that this began, I'm sorry. The defense attorney would say, and I can't remember exactly which one of the two this was, so a defense attorney said, quote, if you believe that Augustine Garcia was stalking Gladys Ricard, laying in wait like a predator, that he had some sort of devious intent to kill her in front of her whole family on her wedding day, then find him guilty. But that's not his that's not this case. That's not the evidence of this case. What happened was it was an emotional response. It was the heat of passion. End quote. What had happened was you said exactly what had happened in the very beginning of your opening argument. Mm, just a whirlwind of contradictory statements. Prosecutors, on the other hand, implored the jury to look at the photos and video presented from the wedding day. Quote, look at the image of that woman trying to stop a bullet with her bare hands and ask yourself, how sorry do you feel for Augustine Garcia? Do you want to let him get away with murder? Because that's exactly what he's asking you to do. End quote. 
In Bergen County, New Jersey, the the jury deliberated to determine whether or not Augustine Garcia had committed murder or acted in the heat of passion. Contradicting his initial statements and the defense laid that the defense had laid out by his attorneys complicated manners matters after one day of deliberating the jury returned with a unanimous guilty of murder verdict even though they admitted that the defense did do a reasonable job of raising doubt about augustine and gladys's relationship the fact remained that augustine murdered her the case hinged on the time he realized he was getting married that she was getting married and committed the crime. The jury felt that Augustine had time to drive away and avoid the murder. So essentially like when Augustine first drove by and saw the bridal party in the yard and saw the limos and the rolls and then he circled around again yes he could be in shock and he's like wait what and he drove around again but then he pulled over and parked and took a few moments to take it in before reaching for his briefcase which contained his weapon and walking to the home he had the choice to drive away he had the choice to you know just say you know what concede you know to defeat but he didn't do that the Recart family felt that a huge sense of felt a huge sense of relief at the end of the trial when augustine was convicted and began to address the media and public who defamed and smeared gladys's name and reputation throughout the trial juan ricard would say Today we are here to let everybody know that all of the lies that were told for two years and one month are over. On February 1st, 2002, Augustine was sentenced to life with to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. On the one-year anniversary of Gladys's death, Florida woman Josie Ashton decided to do something radical out of the ordinary in Gladys's honor. Josie woke up that morning and ran a marathon in her wedding dress. When questioned about her unusual running attire, Rosie stated she was making a statement against domestic violence in honor of Gladys Ricard. Josie's actions inspired an activist group which was working with the Ricard family to educate the community and support the Ricards. Following the trial and sentencing, the advocates assembled the New York Latinas Against Domestic Violence group. The women participated in marches wearing wedding dresses in honor of Gladys. In 2002, Marie Claire magazine sponsored a march in Washington, D.C. against domestic violence. Women from across the country came together in their wedding dresses to march, including celebrity spokeswoman Salma Hayek. Gladys's friends and family say retrospectively that there was nothing that could be done to change the course of events that happened. While Gladys had alluded to certain things, she never full-on admitted for whatever reasons, be it shame or perhaps hoping that the whole thing would just blow over, there was no way of knowing that Gladys, what Gladys had been internalizing. So what had happened is this. 
I'm about to go off on a little ranty poo. I hope you can hang in there with me as I do. I have post-it notes. I have like note cards and I have my dry erase board full of thoughts on the what had happened. (sighs) So first of all, the general wrap up. What had happened is this. A young, ambitious woman immigrated to this country with not necessarily stars in her eyes, but goals. She had a vision of the life that she wanted to have for herself and her child, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. During the time that she was assimilating to America, she met a fellow immigrant who had been here far longer than she was who was also older than her he was a man in in a power position who was well known and respected throughout the community he was a coveted bachelor he was on paper the perfect partner but in all honesty in all actuality augustine garcia was nothing but a misogynistic piece of shit Augustine Garcia coveted this woman, simply put, coveted. He treated her as if she were a possession. He philandered and cheated on her. He did whatever he wanted to do, but he would not let go of her. He was one of those people that has that whole, if I can't have you, no one else can mentality. When Gladys Ricard said that they were broken up over the latest fling and transgression that she no longer wanted to put up with and decided that she was ready to move forward and move on with her life and search for her happily ever after, he refused to take no for an answer. Augustine Garcia stalked her. For months, for months, her neighbors saw him sitting in front of her home or in close proximity, watching her every move. By his own admission, he told police that he often went out of his way to drive past her home to go to Manhattan. For those of you who are not familiar, Ridgefield is nowhere near. So he, from New, uh, he had to detour to stalk her. There was nothing that this woman could do without him knowing. When her man was in her home with her, this man continually harassed her. He threw rocks at her windows like a petulant child. He had hissy fits. He broke windows. And then, with his male fragility, was able to crybaby stinker his way out of having her have charges placed on him. She felt bad for him because what will happen to Augustine's reputation? And that's bullshit. We see this now with the Me Too movement. We've seen this historically. where, And again, this does, this goes across gender lines. Like I said, this is very this is something you could see on snapped about a crazy chick who couldn't take no for an answer when a man moved on with the woman that he had always wanted to be with or whatever 
okay? But we're talking about Augustine Garcia and Gladys Ricard right now. And I have so many thoughts that I am shaking. I am infuriated at the fact that the defense, and I'm sorry, you guys can go ahead and you can watch the American Justice episode on YouTube because I will put the link below because it's a reference. The defense was fucking garbage. The way that they smeared her and the way that they kept, the way that they said the word heat of passion, the way that they used those words, I can you honestly believe it yourself that you're saying these words in regards to this man and how he slaughtered this woman on her wedding day in front of her family can you honestly say that what if okay let's put it into this perspective do the defense attorneys have daughters or daughter-in-laws nieces sisters do you have women in your life that you would want some toxic piece of shit to stalk like prey and then mow down because she could not say no to him because that's what the fuck i saw out of this he was one of those people that didn't take no for an answer and she did not know how to defuse the situation she'd broken up with him she'd moved on she'd gotten engaged she was getting ready to actually get married and i believe in my heart of hearts that she was hoping that she could just get through getting married becoming mrs james preston and that would be what made augustine garcia stop because i'm telling you right now that man followed her to the path mark. Again, you can see it in the you can see it in the American Justice video. I I'm not a body language expert, but I know when a person is shutting down and they don't want to be in that position. I've been in that position in relationships of yesteryear. I understand what it's like to want to just shut down now on to my schnazzy little dry erase board like i'm literally screaming on the inside and outside that they were broken up the august 12th 1999 911 call backs up her timeline of no longer being in a relationship with augustine and her relationship with James Preston nonetheless Augustine was the one who was unwilling to take no for an answer long-term or even short-term relationships can be hard to bring to a conclusion I mean there were seven years of Gladys's life dedicated to a relationship with Augustine and because he wouldn't accept that it was over you know that it was over and he continued to stalk her that i feel like she had to kind of like slowly try to pull back from him as best as she could without making waves again i keep saying that but he continued to stalk her gaslight manipulate and control her i hate how you know her surviving and doing what she felt she needed to do to get away from him turned her into a villain as opposed to you know being the victim 
all too many times we see victims slut shamed for surviving i'm gonna say this a lot of women have high body counts because it's the choice between sleeping with a man they don't want to have sex with or being raped these are this this is the same this is the same thing okay she either had to put up with his constant advances because when she said no he would have hissy fits throw rocks at windows break windows brandish guns during arguments when they were together what else was she supposed to do what else are other women supposed to do in this situation we're supposed to be heard that's what's supposed to happen we shouldn't have to establish a fucking pattern because i've heard that more than a little bit as well you know in my perving of true crime that we have to build up a history of this domestic violence and nine times out of ten it's too late in gladys ricard's instance it was too late I was going to go into how we could also go back in history. Think about the housewives who kept quiet because they had to take it from their husbands. That is the same mentality that men like Augustine Garcia have. And those wives never speak up because they're quote unquote. I guess they're I guess they feel like they're holding on to the vows that they took and like the sanctum the sanctity of marriage but it's very possible for your spouse to take from you something that you do not want no means no on that one so woo you guys I came out swinging um this is episode six Gladys Ricard what had happened is that was here we go again a doozy and i appreciate you guys for uh bearing with me on this rant um (laughs) next week new episode let's hit that outro music